Katie, Katie, how are you holding up? Oh, Jesse, it's just, it's a difficult day. Let me put it that way. It's a difficult day. We are recording this on Friday, October 2nd. Uh, the day after, I guess the day after, the night after Trump uh, acknowledged that he has COVID. How are you holding up? You know, it's just the shock of it. You you live your whole life blissfully unaware of the the realities of this universe we live in, and and you think something like this can never happen, right? Like it's inconceivable. Yeah, absolutely inconceivable. I feel like this is our generation's nine eleven. <laughs> Wait, wasn't nine eleven our generation's nine eleven? Yeah, but I think this supplants it as our true nine eleven. That was sort of a false nine eleven. Well, I have to ask you. Uh, where were you when you heard the news? I was uh, at my parents and my uh, – for reasons I'm not going to get into, I was watching Entourage. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask. This is, a, this is a vivid image. So right as Turtle and the boys were, were going out of the town, my dad came up um, and he started talking about it. And I had had no idea because my phone had been in airplane mode. I'd been offline for a couple hours like intentionally. So yeah. my And then my dad – Started theorizing that uh, because of of Trump having COVID, which is the the tragic event you and I are both reeling from. Um, my dad's theory is that Trump is going to use it as an excuse to drop out of the race, which I don't agree with. That's my sister's theory as well. I think that's not possible because his ego won't allow it. Because that would mean he would have to, even if the guy's losing. Like I could, I could see him pulling a stunt like this if he really thinks that he's going to lose to Biden. But he would have to admit that COVID is not a hoax. Um, <laughs> you know, if he, if he, to drop out. And I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to do that. So instead, Katie, I, uh-huh. you know that, that our style guide says you call it the Chinese virus. Chinese, the China, the China flu. Yes. Excuse me. The China flu. Um, <laughs> the oriental affliction. <laughs> <laughs> now we're definitely going to get canceled. Um, yes. So this is, uh, Shocking news, although I don't know how shocking it should be considering that we are dealing with a man who refuses to wear a mask and in fact makes fun of people who wears masks and has continually downplayed, um, downplayed the, the reality of the coronavirus and who apparently continues to like meet people and shake their hands and kiss babies and whatever, you know, whatever politicians do. So totally shocking news that a 70 something year old man who is also has various health comorbidities has come down with COVID. Yeah. If you're listening and you're upset and you need to take a break to collect your thoughts, we totally understand. We're here for you. You know, this is a tough moment for the nation. Uh, you know, it's it's rough. This is also personally a tough moment for me because I immediately I was I was uh, like going to bed last night and look at looked at my phone one last time before you do and I saw the news. You know, the president has has Corona coronavirus. And so, and I knew like, all right, don't tweet about it. Don't tweet about it. Don't tweet about it. You're going to get banned. You're going to get banned. Oh God. Did you tweet about it? Of course I tweeted about it. (laughs) Of course I tweeted about it. I said prayers for Trump. And then directly below that, I said that he goes quickly. (laughs) Yeah. So it's possible I will be, I will have my second ban from Twitter in a week for, um, for making jokes about some of the most powerful men in the world dying. As we talked about last episode, I was, um, Banned from Twitter for 12 hours for making an innocent joke, a punching up joke about Mitch McConnell, and I fear the same thing will happen again today. I will say, my preference is not that the man dies. My preference is that the man loses the election. However, if I can't have that, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, my preference is alive and losing, uh, which seems to be where we're headed, although... Who the hell knows? Can I, can I briefly make one unrelated point? Sure. So I'm, um, I'm recording this from my brother's closet, which is, he has like a weirdly big closet. I think that's because my parents love him the most. (laughs) 
I don't get what all these complaints are about being in the closet. Like, I think this is fine. I'm comfortable. I might just stay in here until the election. Uh, I don't know if I want to come out of the closet, to be honest. Do you have a chair in there? Or are you just like sitting cross-legged on the ground with your microphone? No, I have a I have a chair. I have the computer. Maybe I'll tweet out a photo of my setup. The My laptop is perched on a blanket with a box on top, some sort of package my parents never opened. So this is great. I'm staying here. All right, well, congratulations. Welcome to uh, the welcome to my early 20s. <laughs> All right. This is uh, Blocked and Reported. I'm Jesse Single. And I am Katie Herzog, feeling optimistic for the first time in four years. <laughs> Jesus. All right. So we have a couple uh, pretty online stories today. What are, what are we going to talk about? Today, we are going to talk about a controversy brewing in the tech world concerning a cryptocurrency company called Coinbase. But first, you are going to tell us about uh, an- another drama brewing in philosophy Twitter. Is this where it is? Yeah, it's basically philosophy Twitter, which is like a weirdly angry worked up place in terms of like the ratio of how how heated you would expect a community to be in terms of how heated it is like philosophy twitter is up there philosophy is going through some pretty intense culture wars or at least some corners of it are so this uh, controversy surrounds kate mann she's a a very sort of popular uh philosopher at cornell university in 2017 she wrote a book called down girl the logic of misogyny this year, recently, she has out, or maybe it's not out yet. Oh, it is out, August. Um, entitled How Male Privilege Hurts Women. Okay, so, Arc Digital, which is this uh, online magazine. I just want to interrupt oh, you sorry, for, for one second. I have, a, I have a short story about male privilege. So, and it does, this one shockingly does not concern you. So I was, yesterday, I took my beloved dog Moose up to this school that has now turned into a dog park because the schools are closed, uh, which frankly is the second best thing about COVID. And so I was, I was like sitting at the dog park watching Moose, Moose play with a new friend of his. And his new friend came up to me to greet me, to say hello, to meet me. And he peed on my leg. Wow. This male dog just was entitled enough to just pee right on you? Yes. Right on my like bare fucking leg. That is entitlement. Men. Men. He was a white man too. Surprise, surprise. If this dog uh, can figure out a way to reach me at the podcast, I will give him a free month subscription to the Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the kind of entitlement covered in her new book. Um, so Arc Digital is basically this – how would you describe it? I want to say like centrist – uh, cr- like contrarian. The truth is, Arc Digital, like cover. It's just an online magazine that I think does a pretty good job covering a wide range of opinions and not being too orthodox. Yeah, they they pride themselves on publishing from across the political spectrum. Both you and I have published there. I had a, a COVID advice column um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, and you've written some some more important things for there. They did at one point publish a piece by friend of the podcast. Noah Berlatsky, about you. And I can't totally remember the gist of it. Can you give us a little explainer? I almost don't want to get into it. It was just, it was sort of a bullshit piece that, um, I just wasn't happy they published. It just sort of, it, it completely misread a, an uncontroversial column I had had. I'll, I'll throw that in the show notes. Um, that's like even one, one level of obscurity above this, uh, latest controversy. But yeah, our, our, you know, they publish some stuff I don't like. They publish some stuff I, I do like. But um, They're the kind of place that will publish you, but also publish somebody attacking you. Yes. 
this is that's fine. There's nothing. No, no. In principle, there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's like a good faith attack. But um, I mean, it would be better if it weren't Noah Berlatsky, But you know, yeah. take what you can get. I guess. Uh, so, th- so they ran on September 28th a piece by Oliver Traldi. He's a PhD student in philosophy at Notre Dame. He's a very smart guy. I think he's. I don't know what his politics are. He's not, you know, some sort of hardline liberal or leftist. He's he's very thoughtful, can be contrarian. He reviewed Kate Mann's new book. And this was a harsh review. I think it was a fair review. Having not read the book, I'm not going to comment much on it. But, like, the kind of example he gives of Kate Mann's ideas maybe not being all the way baked through is, you know, she has this term, hympathy, which is – Empathy that that is sort of unfairly granted to men but not women. And one of the examples she uses is Lindsey Graham questioning Brett Kavanaugh during his confirmation hearing and making him out to be the victim of a witch hunt. As Charlie points out, it's like, eh, may, is that empathy? Maybe. It could also be that Lindsey Graham, who he's a sleazy little weasel, but it could be that Lindsey Graham just believed Brett Kavanaugh. It could also be that he's grandstanding because he's a Republican and he wants to confirm a Republican judge. It's just that and other examples in the book, Oliver Trolley argues, are not necessarily compelling examples that there's this thing called empathy that sort of helps society run or help shape society he he uses that and other examples of her invoking the concept of entitlement to say that she relies a little bit too much on anecdotes on fictional stuff there's something from girls apparently it's a negative review it came across as a fair review i say that having not read the book okay controversy number one which i'm curious to get your opinion on at the bottom of this article which is bylined by oliver Traldi, it says This review was co-written with a philosopher who prefers to remain anonymous. So uh, just off the top of your head, not knowing more about the situation, do you think that's kosher to run a harsh book review with one byline and then this other sort of invisible author? Hmm. This is a good question and one that I'm not quite sure I know the answer to. If I were Kate Mann, I would probably be like, this is fucking ridiculous. If you can't, you know, put your name to your words, why should I take you seriously? This has no value. That said, in the current climate, I also completely understand why an academic in particular, an academic who isn't tenured, would want to uh, hide his or her um, byline in a case like this, because there will be pushback. And I, and I think also from the publication's perspective, I think it was sort of an unfortunate misstep because then the story becomes they published an anonymous reviewer. Um, and it distracts from the review, the content of the review itself. So I'm not, I'm not totally sure. I mean, if, yeah, if, if somebody reviewed my non-existent book, um, and wasn't willing to put their name to it, would I, I would be less, uh, I think, uh, less likely to take the take the review in good faith. What do you think about this? Yeah, I'm torn too. I mean, I think anonymity should be only used in certain situations. I, what nudges me maybe in the other direction into thinking this is okay are, are two things. One is Oliver Trolley's name is on it. If you have a problem with the review, there is a face and a name you can address that to, which makes it different from an anonymous review where you really have no recourse and no one's reputation is on the line. Oliver Trolley did what what you do when you publish something on your name. He put his reputation on the line. People can criticize him. The other thing is, you know, I get a fair number of emails from professors talking about how crazy the climate is right now. There's perhaps no field that is more intense and where you run the higher risk of damaging your career if you criticize someone who you're not supposed to criticize like Kate Mann than philosophy. And the culture wars there are complicated because there's sort of a woke side and an anti-woke side. 
the sort of leader of the anti-woke side is this guy named Brian Leiter. He goes to war against all these people on the woke side. There's back channel stuff. There's accusations of harassment. So it's, it's not fair to say that people are like afraid to criticize Kate Mann because people do so quite openly, but the people doing the criticism are usually tenured academics. I unfortunately find it all too easy to believe that, that this really could harm the career of a, untenured academic or a grad student. Oliver Traldi is sort of in a different situation because this is a role he's carved out for himself and he's, he's willing to take the heat, which is great. But I, I do not think we're at a place where, where you can criticize someone like Kate Mann without consequences, which I think is unfortunate. Um, or at least you can't criticize her without consequences if you have certain people in your social or professional network. No, I think you're totally right about that. Have we talked about Colin Wright on the podcast before? I don't know, but he, he's a guy who, Really, um, I forget what field is he in. Is he in evolutionary biology, maybe? Yeah. So give the, give the short version of what happened with him. So Colin has gotten interested in the last couple of years about sex, uh, not having it, presumably. <laughs> he, he, turned, he turned 13 <laughs> yeah. and 14, suddenly he had new interests. Uh, I'm, I'm using the, um, the noun, not the, not the verb here. Um, so Colin has written a few pieces. He wrote one for, I believe, the Wall Street Journal that just argued that sex is not a spectrum. Um, so something that would not have been controversial a few years ago. He was a PhD student, I believe, when he wrote the piece. I don't know his CV. I don't know how likely he would have been to get a job in the current market. But he subsequently, he applied for a ton of jobs, couldn't get any. And there was a, a campaign, an online campaign to to uh I don't know shun him out of out of academia um and to render him on un- exactly was right exactly him. yeah and so and he wrote a piece about that and now he he got a job at Quillette um so, so <laughs> there are you know yeah yeah totally um so it, it, that's a real a real risk that you that you take when you you know criticize the sort of dominant progressive narrative at this moment that isn't to say that there aren't also benefits to being the contrarian or being the person willing to um to criticize someone like Kate Mann or to argue that sex is not a spectrum. You and I are an example of that. We yes. have certainly benefited from our willingness to um to piss off the left just but you know this podcast and is is an example of that. But if your job if what if your goal in life if you're is to get a tenure track position at a let's say a liberal arts school or whatever, um then something like this could could harm your chances of that. So I totally understand why you know why the author would would take that risk. I also am curious about whether or not that that uh qualifier was necessary. Like why why have the anonymous byline and why not just say Oliver wrote it? Yeah, I, I think maybe if I was the editor, I would have said something like that because it does it. It sort of seems like you're just sort of exposing something critics can attack. But um, my view of what happened to him is that it's it's very unfair, and I'll, I'll throw in a link to his story. But it, it, this this stuff isn't simple. There are both benefits and drawbacks to being contrarians. Like you know, it really depends what you want to do. If you want to start an independent podcast and you already have an audience, no one would say that we we have been materially punished at, or are being at the moment for criticizing the left sometimes. Although, you know, you, you face major issues at the stranger and you say you've been blacklisted from an NPR station. So there are, there are drawbacks, but there are also benefits to it and silly to pretend otherwise. Yeah, for sure. I think it would be really difficult for me to get a job right now um, in any sort of, you know, left leaning media organization. But there would, that would, that isn't just because of this position that I've staked out. That's also because, you know, they're like the reality of the, of the market. Um, so it would be really difficult if I applied for a job right now to, to figure out if it was because like, oh, is it because I'm, people say, say that I'm transphobic or is it because, you know, 
the market fucking sucks. Yeah. Um, There's basically no one for whom it's easy to get a job right now. So it's hard to separate that out. Um, Okay, so I want to move on to what happened next because I, I thought this was really interesting in terms of understanding the dysfunctional ways the online world works. So, so the first thing that happened was like people did not respond well to the anonymity. Jill Filipovich, who's a, a well-respected feminist writer, basically said that it was cowardly, unaccountable, unprofessional, and journalistically unacceptable, uh, you know, to have this partial anonymity. Uh, Arc Digital's account decided to respond to that being like, that's so unfair. We were called cowardly and unprofessional. Kate Mann blocked the Arc Digital account. Then the Arc Digital account tweeted out a photo of Kate Mann blocking them. I'm not, I don't think it's a good idea for like magazine social media accounts to get in the muck like this. What do you think? Yeah, I think just from a branding perspective, I don't think it's a great idea. Um, and it proved to cause a lot of backlash. Um, after they did this, but I think it's also, I suspect that this was, uh, what's Bernie's last name? Belvedere? San- uh, yeah, Belvedere, yeah. <laughs> Sanders. Um, I suspect, so, so the editor or founder of this publication, Bernie Belvedere, that's sort of his persona online. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I suspect that he's the one that controls the keys and that he probably didn't think twice about using the, the company account, um, you know, to, to make sort of a, a snarky remark. Not one that I thought was particularly toxic or heated or harassing or whatever. Um, maybe not the best look, but not something like I would have done the same thing from my personal account without a second thought. Right. Maybe it was Bernie Sanders. <laughs> how, how could you call this unprofessional? Is that actually, was that the first half decent impression I've ever done? That was, was good. That, that was good. Unprofessional. No, it's unprofessional. It's the big banks. That you lost That's, it. Yeah, I lost it. All right. So, Okay. Enter Jason Stanley. He's a professor at Yale. He wrote a book called, called I think, uh, Everything is Fascism? Is that the name? <laughs> his book is called How Fascism Works. He, he's another, um, he's youngish. I think he's in his forties. Uh, like Kate Mann, he's a, a very popular on the left philosopher who connects philosophy to sort of progressivism and social justice causes. He jumped in and said, uh, these are direct quotes from his tweets. I don't quite know what Arc Digital is, but they are embarrassing themselves with their war on Kate Mann. <laughs> he also said, the number of people obsessed about Kate Mann is wild. Any negative tweet about her immediately gets a whole bunch of likes. Get a grip, folks. Don't be a hater. Be a participator. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some sort of like, like very first generation yeah. rap. Don't be a hater. Be a participator. That was a little preview. That's like, like, the after school program rap. <laughs> yes. Um, so, oh wait, then another one was, there is a bizarre obsession with Kate that I actually find kind of amusing in the way it reinforces her points. This stuff drives me crazy because you see this move a lot where like, okay, at root, what happened was someone published a negative review of Kate Mann's book, which is fine. She blocked the magazine, which is fine. The magazine tweeted out an image of the block, which is whatever, like a misdemeanor in the grand scheme of internet behavior. Suddenly, the narrative becomes that people are, quote, obsessed with man and that and that there's a, quote, war against her. And I just I don't know. I think you you and I have both seen this. We're like, there's no such thing as valid criticism. Everything is this horrific assault on someone's very being. And and it's fucking lame. Like, these are public intellectuals. They should be able to take the heat. Right. Yeah. Did you see anybody actually, like, by your definition of harassment, target Kate Mann? I mean, were there any threats of violence? Did anybody call her ugly? Was there anything like that? I mean, given your recent track record, I bet you at some point wished for her <laughs> to die, but I didn't see that specifically. <laughs> look, look, look. No, no, no. 
the only people I wish to die are powerful, powerful politicians. Old white Republicans. Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell. <laughs> okay. uh, I am sure that she has received harassment online. In this case, no, I saw none. I saw people who think that some of her ideas are flimsy and silly, which is their right, and which, you know, Jason Stanley and others are trying to twist into some sort of war. But I, I, more and more, I just think so much of online life is like, the middle school lunch table, where if you're one of the uncool kids and you criticize one of the cool kids, you know, that's just completely unacceptable. But of course, like from different points of views, from to conservatives or classical liberals, Kate Man is one of the uncool kids, so they'll adopt different standards. It's just, it feels like it's bullshit all the way down, right? Yeah, it's just, it's tribal. One thing about book reviews that I've noticed in the past couple of years is that if you, like when Barry Weiss's book came out, I could tell from the publication and the byline whether the review was going to be positive or negative immediately, immediately. And the same thing will be true when your book comes out, you know, like when, you know, whatever it is, like when, when the new Republic or whatever reviews your book, it's probably going to be bad. Sorry, Jesse. Oh, they're just not going to review it. Or or they won't review it or they won't review it. Um, yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, I, like, I would love to see like one, one book review that really surprises me. Like if Oliver had written a glowing, a glowing review of Kate Mann's book, which I think he would have done if he liked the book, he is, he is a good faith, uh, debater. Um, then, you know, I would have at least been surprised but this stuff it all just becomes like you know it's it's just teams it's just sports yes and that that i think makes me less and less interested in i'm interested in like unpacking online life like anthropologically or psychologically but like to participate in any of this bullshit is just because even from arc digital's perspective they're just they're doing their own thing of bullshit where they're trying to build their brand by being like oh we got blocked it's like right right totally who cares yeah and there was i saw so one of her tweets her response to this and she got a ton of people were sort of uh you know being sympathetic i'm so sorry this is happening to you yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) and some big names um not just jill Filipovich. there were other you know like like major thinkers um who are Kate, I am so sad this is happening to you. It's like the bit oh fuck I can't. Quit trying, quit trying. Um and I didn't see any of them really grapple with the content of the review itself. It's just sort of like you're attacking my friend, which I get, you know, if I like got into it with a with a a, a person the other day who was attacking you. Um you're welcome, Jesse. That was my gift to you on International Podcast Day. I got into a fight with Grace Laverly about you. Um, oh Jesus and, fuck it. Why? Why did you do that? Well somebody somebody tagged me into a into a like into a thread of hers and we should probably tell people Grace Laverly is a trans woman um who really fucking hates Jesse. And she just like was being incredibly condescending and, and attributing values to you that you don't have. Um and so I stupidly got in the middle of it, which I shouldn't have, but it does become this, like, I, I, I understand the impulse of these people to defend Kate Mann, defend their friend. I'm doing the same thing with you. Um, I, I should stop. <laughs> it's not worth it because it doesn't change anybody's mind. And the same, and like the, th- the same thing happens every time that you and I have discussed a lot where I say like, okay, show me exactly where Jesse has said something transphobic and there's, and nobody can do it. Yeah. Or I, or that happens with me. If somebody accuses me of being transphobic, I say like, okay, show me exactly where it is. Show me the, like, if I'm so transphobic, it should be really easy to find. I've written tons of thousands of words. Just Google, Google it, search my Twitter, find all of the transphobic things, find one transphobic thing I've said and show it to me. And they can't do it. Um, but you know, when like someone is defending or is someone is, you feel like someone is attacking your friend, you, you know, jump in for some stupid reason. I shouldn't have responded angrily. I mean, I appreciate it. My, um, she's someone who I've tried to 
respectfully engage with and all i get is this sort of like middle school mean girl bullshit that i uh that just it grates on me after a while because it's like at a certain age if you're going to pretend to be a public intellectual like you sort of you can't just do that forever you know oh, well apparently you can it... or you can i mean maybe these days you can. she's a tenured professor at berkeley apparently it's working for her oh uh, good for her anyway um well yeah, are you, are you going to read Kate Mann's book? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I get I, <laughs> other noises. I so I I'm so skeptical of the framing. Whenever I see people make arguments about entitlement, I f- tend to find them very silly because there's obviously some senses in which entitlement is real. Usually, I just see people use it in ways that like don't make much sense like entitled like they'll make sort of sweeping statements about like white people are entitled and i don't necessarily think that that's like a good explanation of behavior so i probably won't i think maybe if i'm gonna if i'm gonna write about it or say more about it i will but are are you going to did you read her old book oh god no oh no 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 (laughs) no i i I do a podcast once a week that's my job i don't have time for I don't have time to read shit like that. I had to read the Harry or I had to read the J.K. Rowling book last week. I'm done. Rolling, 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 whatever. Uh, okay. Do we have anything else to say about Arc Digital, Cape Man, Jason Stanley, and then accidentally Grace Library? No. Let's move on. Coinbase, crypto, baby. This is a, uh, as you know, I pay you in crypto, so this is a very yes relevant story for us. What happened? Yes, we are moving into the tech world for this one. Okay. There is a company called Coinbase. I don't know much about them, but I know it is a cryptocurrency uh, company. They do something with – it's like an equivalent of Bitcoin, I guess. Um, and so on September 27th, the CEO of this company, Brian Armstrong, released a blog post on the company website. And in this blog post, he – I'll give you the TLDR version, which is basically he said that he wants to take – he wants politics out of the workplace. So he – there's a couple of bullet points I'm going to read you. So he writes, uh, we've – they have a new agreement about internal communication. And here's what it says. This is a quote. We won't debate causes or political candidates internally. Expect the company to represent our personal beliefs externally. Assume negative intent or not have each other's back. Take activism outside of our core mission at work. We will. Fight to get on the same page when we have differences. Support each other and create team cohesion. Assume positive intent. Put the goals of the company ahead of the team or individual goals. So what he's basically saying there is that on internal like Slack channels or whatever sort of communication systems that they use, he wants politics out. He does not want people talking about social justice issues or the killing of George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or probably climate change or whatever. He wants no politics within the company. And as you can expect, this caused a quite a ruckus. So there's been a lot of, uh, you know, chatter about this blog post. And there's a woman named Erica Joy Baker, who's a Silicon Valley engineer, as well as a diversity activist. She's a black woman. And she was on Twitter. We'll uh, link to this thread thread in the show notes. And so she says, and this has been, um, been, I think, confirmed by subsequent reporting by a couple of different outlets. She says that the genesis of this blog post was that um, after George Floyd was killed, the company, some, so the employees at the company wanted Coinbase to make a statement. 
about, you know, like everybody did, like Doritos came out and said, like, Black Lives Matter, you know. Uh, I thought that was so brave of Doritos. By oh, the way. so brave. Yeah. Amazon, you know, every basically every Fortune 5 company and small business. Um, well, it's, all, they, it's the, all these companies we had long associated with social justice and yeah. good practices like Doritos and Amazon just Halliburton. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they all came out. Yeah, they all came out and made their statements. Um, and Coinbase did not. And so apparently, so there was either, uh, the threat to or engineers actually walked out of the company in protest. So subsequently, Brian Armstrong posted a series of tweets from his own account, um, affirming, you know, I believe Black Lives Matter, the killing of George, did uh, sort of just like, what you would expect from a CEO, racism is bad kind of series of tweets. Um, according to Erica Joy Baker, and I'm not sure if she has any internal knowledge or if this is just pure speculation, but according to her, she says that this reads as though it was written by a, you know, like a communications team. Um, and that the reason that he, that he put out this statement from his personal accounts was purely to, uh, you know, as a way to pacify the engineers who were pissed off that the company didn't say anything about this. Um, so. A couple days later, or a couple months later, actually. So he put out a statement in early June. Uh, this blog post comes out in late September. Um, and so, of course, uh, surprise, surprise, there's a backlash. Um, and it came from, like, it came from ex- exactly who you would expect, which was, you know, social justice activists, or as I like to call them, social media just- justice activists. Um, they, uh, they were pissed about this because to, to this, contingent of people, um, which included hilariously Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, you can't keep, there's this like, right now, in the current moment, politics and business are too intertwined, and you cannot keep politics out of out of the company. You just can't. That's wrong. Um, so the best response, and, and of course, at the same time, there were also sort of contrarian Silicon Valley types and libertarians who love this, like Paul Graham, who's the founder of Y of Y Combinator. Um, he he tweeted something in support of this. Um, but the best tweet was by the best, and by best I mean worst, was by this guy Dick Costello, who I was unfamiliar with until until his his tweet went wildly viral. It turns out that he is the former CEO of Twitter, and here's what he said: "Me first, capitalists who think you can separate society from business are going to be the." The first people lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution. I'll happily provide video commentary. <laughs> so this is a guy who is reportedly worth $300 million, former CEO of Twitter, talking about how he will provide the color commentary when capitalists are lined up against, uh, lined up against the wall and shot in the revolution. I, I think that color commentary might get cut off rather suddenly. <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna be like, wait, you? Yeah, let's you get it. Get, let's get those capitalists. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, like, you know, I'm I'm sort of like a Me Too podcaster. If they line up the Me Too podcasters against the wall, he's the last person I want providing color commentary. I wanted to be the Scottish guy who has been who has been narrating his dogs playing since COVID started. Have you seen this guy? Oh my! He, yeah, does it like uh, rugby or cricket or he something? Do, yeah, something like that. But he so he has these two dogs, Mabel and Mabel and Olive, or something like that. And he just he he has this like wonderful color commentary while they're playing and shit like that. So when they line us against the wall, I request, I humbly request that he does the commentary. Nothing, nothing better sums up how stupid every. Well, actually, okay, I was gonna say nothing better sums up how stupid everything is. The thing that sums up how stupid everything is right now is Trump getting coronavirus, but. Second place is a guy worth, um, I, I just Googled and said $430 million. Oh, wow. 
cheering on a violent oh no wait that's 2014 maybe he took a hit either way 300 million call it guy like that cheering on a communist revolution saying that he's gonna provide color commentary as the capitalists most of whom have less money than him are shot this in response to a company basically expressing the opinion we're gonna keep politics out of our workplace so uh that, that really launched the story into the stratosphere. Right. So after this controversy came out, um, there was apparently some – surprise, surprise – some internal backlash at Coinbase. And so um, Armstrong sent out an email to his staff saying, if you want to quit, if you don't believe in the mission, if you don't believe in these policies, that's totally fine. And he offered to give everyone who wanted to quit four to six months severance, which I think is pretty fucking good. Yeah. Take a six months vacation because you 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 want to talk about politics on your Slack channel? Okay, that sounds great. I have to admit, like we all have our weird things that that upset us. I have a thing about like twenty something tech people who took jobs because they are high status and six figure now pretending that their workplaces at like fucking Google or Uber or Coinbase should be like sites of social justice struggle when many of yes. these kids had every opportunity in the world to actually do social justice for a living. There are a million things. Like, go be a social go worker. Be, thank you. Go be a social worker. Get in the trenches. Be be like us. Be a podcaster on the very <laughs> front lines of making the world a better place. To, to take a job involved in Bitcoin and then complain when your Bitcoin company is not sufficiently woke is just stupid and i have no sympathy for them i think it's such an incredible deal that you know their i guess their sense of morality has changed and they can no longer bear to do this kind of work that's a great opportunity for them to get a four-month parachute um you know that could be 40 or fifty thousand dollars. they should just take that i mean it's like going to work for exxon and being pissed about climate change yeah like you should know what you're getting into and at the same time like I do have some sympathy for these workers because I'm uncomfortable with just sort of the free speech warrior in me is uncomfortable with employees dictating what people can talk about. That said, I'm way more uncomfortable with them dictating what people can talk about off the clock rather than on the clock. Um, you know, it is your, it is your employee's prerogative, um, to tell you like, and, and his, and Armstrong, one of Armstrong's major points was that this is leading to a decrease in productivity, which yeah, no shit. The amount of drama surrounding these, these cultural culture war issues and social justice issues oh, that it takes from any company. I mean, we've seen this in the media companies that we follow more closely, like the New York Times. I mean, how does anybody have the time to do any reporting when they're so oh busy God, tweeting God. about how Barry Weiss is a monster or what the fuck ever? Right. Or how the National Guard is going to just murder people in the streets. Right. Tom Cotton's op-ed. Right. right. Um, oh, as an aside, can we just talk for a moment about the Chinese propaganda that the Times published yesterday? Yeah, this is a, a column about Hong Kong. Um the author is sort of a what would you say sort of a, a pro-China Hong Kong political figure? I actually don't know exactly. Yeah, who she is. yeah, she does. I don't know if she works for the for the Chinese government, but she is. Um, she wrote this op-ed or this opinion piece for the New York Times, basically arguing that like the United States needs to stay out of Chinese politics and like you know just let them be authoritarian and anti-democratic and crack down on the protesters in Hong Kong because like it's not our business. Right, and this led to a huge uprise among Times staffers because this is literally putting the lives of uh people of color protesters at risk yeah 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 that's not what happened at all no (laughs) it's so disingenuous (laughs) it was crickets it was crickets the level of just disingenuous bullshit from yeah the same um, people who argued that the tom cotton op-ed which we talked about on on a couple of prior episodes was going to literally put black staffers in danger were totally silent when you have someone when you have the paper 
publishing actual Chinese Communist Party propaganda, utter fucking silence. And it's and, and to me, it's like, you know, I'm actually okay with them publishing the op-ed the same way that I was okay with them publishing the Tom Cotton op-ed, because I think that we should be aware of, of like, of these perspectives in the world. What I'm not okay with is just the abject hypocrisy of complaining about one and not the other. You can't have it both ways. I think there's an, there's an argument for both. There's an argument to be pissed off at both. And, and that argument hinges on what you think the, that rarefied space of the Times op-ed page is for. There is, it is impossible to be outraged about the Tom Cotton one and then think that's okay. And I, you know, there's a level of just full of shitness. I would also add that the National Guard was sent into Kenosha. Right. This happened. The thing that they said right. would put people's lives, it is, of course, it's an end of one, but the National Guard sometimes gets sent places to help out, uh, sometimes with riots, sometimes with disaster. They do not generally kill people. There are obviously horrible exceptions like Kent State decades ago, but like the, the, that claim never fully made sense that the army would just roll in and start murdering people because anyway. And it didn't happen. No, we don't need to relitigate that, but like I, I agree. It's, it's complete hypocrisy. I guess, okay, so if this guy at Coinbase was saying like, I'm gonna, going to discipline any employee who like ever talks about this on the clock, I'd be against that. But my sense is his argument wasn't as hardline as that. He was more just saying like, our workplace is not really a place for political organizing, right? Yes, that's what he's, I mean, and not even organizing. He, he actually made clear that like, if there are, you know, if there are issues within the company, like, uh, you know, um, like quality of life issues within the company. Like if the company, if, if you need to organize to make the company a, like a better, have better working conditions, like he didn't have, seem to have any problem with that. What he's talking about is his external, external issues. Yeah. Um, I, to me, what this reveals is like, there's this thing where because media and tech spaces are so overwhelmingly progressive right now, or at least the people speaking up are, there's this like willful obtuseness where people forget or, or intentionally ignore the fact that there are like 350 million Americans and they're very politically divided. So like I just pulled up the September 16th statistics on support for Black Lives Matter. 55% of Americans uh, support it uh, in September. So that means there's a lot of Americans who either support it a little and might not want to bring it into the workplace or who don't support it. And look, I, I wish there were fewer conservatives. I'm progressive, but, but that doesn't mean every workplace is going to be the site of progressive political activism. And it does mean that that could actually lower productivity. These are for-profit companies. They're not activist companies. There's no shortage of activist opportunities. Right. And it also causes drama within the company. Like if you're the lone conservative within the company who doesn't support Black Lives Matter or something like that, I can see how that would be feel like a toxic environment if you're constantly being sort of reminded of what you're supposed to believe. Um, and I don't know what Brian Armstrong's actual opinions on Black Lives Matter are. The tweets that he put out were very supportive of it. Um, but I think, you know, especially, a, you know, a company that doesn't Bitcoin, that deals in Bitcoin or, or cryptocurrency is probably more likely to have libertarians working there. You know, it's, it's sort yeah. of a libertarian, um, you know, business to be in in the first place. And so if you do have these sort of hardcore social justice warriors who want the company to get involved in these fights, and then you have these libertarians who don't, that is going to cause some conflict. Um, but I, but I, I still like, I mean, is, is any part of you sympathetic with these workers who say like, why should my boss be dictating what I can talk about? on the job 
if he's if he's like really preventing people from like you know uh, let's say someone posts into Slack there's a BLM meetup after work or we're going to go to the protest I would be so against someone getting punished for that. It sounds like he's more saying he just doesn't doesn't want politics to be a big part of Coinbase's day to day operations. Uh, I think that's totally fine. And I guess what gets me again is like I I really think if you polled most Americans, this is a a strong majority opinion that most people won't express in the present climate. I just think the average person does not want to feel like they have to go into work and on top of all this work stuff, get involved in political stuff that they may or may not agree with or have strong feelings about. That 55% of people supporting BLM includes people who only supported a little. Like, not everyone is a swashbuckling political type. And there's this concept of the exhausted majority some political scientists have identified, which is most Americans are a little bit exhausted by politics and don't necessarily want to feel forced to participate in the workplace. So I think you can acknowledge that, but also acknowledge that obviously workers should not be punished for doing some political organizing as long as it doesn't sort of interfere with uh, their work or whatever. Do you think that should be any different in the in the the public sector? Like, do you think if the you know should a university be a public university be able to tell people not to organize around these causes at the workplace? I think it would depend on the specific nature of of the organizing going on. You know, I definitely public, a lot of public workers have, I think, free speech protections. People don't have at private companies anyway. So I think it's more complicated. Um, I, I do not want people restricted from like, again, posting something in the slack or talking about politics at work and people do get punished for, for what should be protected speech all the time. I don't want that. I just, I just think that the Coinbase guy whose name I apparently f- refuse to learn. So I just keep calling him the Coinbase guy. His opinion that at some level your work should be separate from politics because people disagree on politics, I think is totally right. I don't think a highly functioning firm can be, you know, involved in politics every day. It's just not, it's not reasonable because people actually disagree on this stuff and they should be allowed to. Right, right. Um, this sort of reminded me of the ongoing drama at Spotify around Joe Rogan. Have you been following <laughs> that? Yeah, there's some uh employees basically trying to exert editorial control over what Joe Rogan can and can't say. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Joe Rogan uh so he he signed an exclusive deal with Spotify. So I think as of December Spotify will be the one place to get his content. And it was for something but like between like 100 and 120 million dollars. So massive massive deal for a podcaster. Can you believe it? A podcaster. Um and uh and so these these employees and I'm I'm guessing they probably fall into a demographic that we could stereotype quite easily um are pissed about it they're pissed about joe rogan having specifically a woman named abigail schreier on his show recently who wrote a book about uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria um and how this is affecting uh primarily teen teen girls or 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 maybe teen trans boys would be the way to put it um and so and uh, abigail I, i'm not sure what her politics are um and i haven't read the read the book but she was on his show i listened to the conversation i thought it was interesting and not particularly uh uh hostile or transphobic um but some employees because transphobia is always always the thing for some reason right now um some employees have decided to like walk out and protest and they want to have editorial control. They want it like a final edit on what Joe can say. Yeah, which is uh insane. Nope, it's insane. And similar to what the the New York Times News Guild, they asked for sensitivity readers, just outside right. interference on what individual journalists or content creators do. And um look, the one fair point some people have made about Joe Rogan is he has at times platformed 
conspiracy theories, which drives me crazy because these are not complicated ones to check. He most recently apologized for spreading a rumor about, um, I think Antifa starting some of the forest fires. He did do a, a full throated apology, but first of all, there's a level of full of shitness there because no one is, is holding leftist commentators to the same standards and they, they pass along misinformation all the time. Right. Should, should staffers have editorial oversight over Rachel Maddow because she talked about the like Russian collusion for four fucking years that nobody is calling for that. Oh, I mean, even some of the stuff, uh, same subject, sex and gender. I mean, I, right. Like, oh, right. We're really going to like fact check and have editorial control again because someone says sex is a spectrum when it is. And it's just, it's not, uh, I just think, um, these employees are confused about what the role is. There's nothing wrong with employees like, you know, offering input, I guess, about what the company does. But like, you know, even in the case of the Times, the new op-ed editor said to the news side, call me, text me, email me if you're ever upset about a column that runs. And I, that's not how that shit works, man. Like you're, you're going to run some columns or if you're Spotify, have some creators who you're employees don't like so yeah i just just think this is all a recipe for just dysfunctional media companies you know and i think it uh there's these interesting forces coming into conflict right now like i support the free speech of spotify employees to bitch about joe rogan i also more support joe rogan's right to say whatever the fuck he wants on his podcast and i support the spotify ceo's right to tell the employees to go fuck themselves you sort of need to be able to tell look again i i i'm with you on the free speech stuff but what company works functions at a basic level if the people at the top don't have some discretion to tell the people below them to shut the fuck up once in a while. I mean... Exactly. Jesse, shut the fuck up every once in a while. Katie, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Dude, when I was at the Boston Globe or New York Magazine, the idea that I was going to like... I think I just understood there were people above me who were allowed to make certain editorial decisions I didn't disagree with. That doesn't mean I loved every story that ran, but this, there's, there's a certain, you want to talk about entitlement, thinking that as like a 20 something staffer, you get to decide what does and doesn't go on the air or run in the paper. That's actual entitlement. That's not how media works or should work. You know, there was a, I was not at the stranger when this happened, but in 2017 or maybe 2016, uh, the mayor of Seattle, the then mayor of Seattle, Ed Murray was accused by a bunch of young men of, of sexual assault and, and sexual abuse. And the stranger, um, uh, <laughs> published a, like his own defense. They, they like let him, they gave him the space to publish a, I didn't do it. Um, I didn't do it column. Subsequently, he ended up resigning from, from the office. There was lots of investigation into, into what he did. It turns out one of the alleged victims, um, was one of his foster children. So like a pretty fucked up story. The guy, you know, the guy ended up dying later, not Murray. Um, one of his accusers ended up dying later. Um, and I wasn't there. So I don't know what the internal dialogue was, but I can imagine that after they published this piece, it was just a, like a, I bet, I bet that people tried to have to throw a fucking coup about it. Yeah. Um. You know, and and my position on that is like, well, you know, it's the organ. You know, it's 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 the, their job is to publish interesting shit, and it's it's pretty interesting. I also think like New York Magazine, for example, you you basically, I think this is true at the Times too. You're technically not supposed to like talk shit on Twitter about your colleagues. And they they made a big exception to that rule for Barry Weiss, who you were allowed to talk shit about. Um, I, I sort of think you need that to have a functioning organization. I mean, if, if you were at The Stranger, it's one thing to know that people in the office are talking shit about you, but to have your colleagues undermine you on Twitter 
that's where I get a little bit wobbly. That's that's less about free speech. That's that's more about like you're representing the company and there I don't mind there being some limitations on what media figures say on their social media as it pertains to collegiality and stuff like that. Oh, I totally agree with you. I mean, that just seems like an HR issue less uh, less than a than a speech issue. Um we did have things happen like at the stranger there was a freelancer who and now I can say whatever the fuck I want because um <laughs> I didn't get 4 to 6 months severance. Um but there was a freelancer who was uh was fired from the paper um, because she was a, a shitty writer and because there were some – I can't remember the, all the details, but she was a shitty writer was was the main thing and difficult to work with. Um, and after she was fired, she went on Twitter and, uh, and said that she quit and the reason she quit was because the paper kept publishing me, which was just a lie. What was this um, person's name? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say. I'm not gonna say it. Um. And uh. And and so I responded to that on Twitter, and I said something about how she was a fucking liar and how she was fired, and I was disciplined for that. I was told like you cannot air company. Don't you can't air like HR business on Twitter. I wasn't disciplined. I was talked to about it, which was fine. Like my boss told me like don't talk about internal HR HR shit on Twitter. Totally fine. It's the stranger, so I would imagine the discipline gets pretty kinky. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, totally. They made me clean the bong out. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you have anything else to say about the, I mean, look, the Coinbase thing for me just comes down to most, again, it's this weird thing where the, what I think is a minority opinion, which is that politics should be infused in the workplace is being treated as obviously right or the default or the orthodoxy. I think most Americans disagree with that, but they're not the ones who are going to speak up in a workplace because you'll just get screamed at for being uh, bigot or whatever. But I, right. just, I just think it makes workplaces dysfunctional. For-profit firms are not they, – they have a mission that involves making money. You know, there used to be this this like truism in American culture that you like don't talk about politics and religion at the workplace. Um, that's over. That's real over. I don't know what happened to that, but no more. Yeah, no more. We uh, must. That about that about it on this issue. Yeah, we are um, we're recording a Patreon episode after this, and that is going to be about what is it about, Jesse? Oh, it's it's like the latest white person <laughs> pretending to be person of color. This was awesome because the the person who did it is just very 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 bad at it. So uh, check us out at patreon.com slash blocked and report if you want access to that. This story, I love this one. I'm excited to record it. Yeah, and this one is this one comes with a twist. There is a twist. I, it's such a twist. <laughs> you gotta join us, join us to hear the twist. Join us to get twisted. If you want to get in touch otherwise, we're blocked and reported podcast at gmail.com. Always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. The 4.6 star versus 4.7 star continues. It is this war of attrition, sort of Iran, Iraq in the eighties level, except worse. <laughs> Although eventually, if with luck, we can turn it into a 4.7, 4.8 war. So this should really be your priority at the moment, whoever you are. Yeah. That's how to get in touch with us. Katie, anything else before we sign off uh there's a, a delightful subreddit that has good conversations and as far as i can tell very little trauma oddly um uh bl- the blocked on reported subreddit uh on you know reddit reddit reddit.com slash r slash blocked and reported this has been blocked and reported i'm jesse single and remember i am entitled to my sympathy and i'm katie herzog and also remember when the me first podcasters get lined up against the wall i will be pushing jesse in front of me